Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, well, let's kick this thing off. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. We've got a special episode today. You may recognize the voice of Mr. Ricky Toombs. Of course, you recognize Matt's voice, our lovely co-host. And we have another guest today, Jordan, the Bobcat Benj. Jordan, Ricky, welcome to the show. How are you gentlemen doing today? I'm doing well. Doing well. Yeah. Good to be back here and yes. uh, get Jordan, Jordan on to talk about what we got to talk about today. Yeah, exactly. And so we've got three of us here in Houston. And, and Jordan, where are you visiting from today? Oh, I'm in Midland, Texas today. Nice. How's beautiful Midland on a nice Monday afternoon? It's good. And I got to just say, if you got a guy from Midland on here, this thing's going downhill quick. So, uh. <laughs> but I thought that was just Jordan. I didn't. I didn't know you had to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you're still fresh from Midland, so yeah, I would like to say that just it's you're on. And so, if the viewership goes down, that's unfortunately falls on your plate. But nonetheless, <laughs> we'll address that later with management. It's okay. So for the listeners out there, we had an idea and it's something we wanted to cover. Matt and I had talked about it, kind of verbally going over sort of a case history. A lot of what we do requires a lot of steps. We don't just you know think of something and then all of a sudden it shows up at the rig. And so what we thought would be a cool idea for an episode is kind of going through the life cycle of identifying an opportunity, planning, strategizing, lab testing, getting it to the market and sort of tying it all together and how that works. And so we recently had some great success with a product, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And we thought what a better opportunity than to highlight how we did it and, you know, sort of the outcome and some final thoughts on deploying a product that for us is very unique and really added a lot of value to our customer base. And so, you know, Matt, I'll start off with you. We're going to start off talking, we're going to talk about a new fluid loss squeeze application and product that you and the technical team developed. And Jordan, as the account manager over the customer that we were able to apply it on, played a huge part in actually making it, you know, getting it to the rig, applying it, dealing with the engineers. So, but first and foremost, Matt, how would you define a high fluid loss squeeze? And then we'll go from there. I'll start with a definition, but before I even do that, I want to say, you know, one of the things I like about having, this is just a small part of the group, you know, one as a manager, you know, I had the fortune of more or less just telling Ricky to go pursue this. So the amount of work I did was minimal. It was proper management delegation. I barely lifted a finger. So thank you for giving me more credit than I deserve. But from that perspective, you know, not only that, some guys in the lab worked really hard, and then you go all the way up from, you know, manufacturing a product, making it available in the field, knowing when to use it, executing properly, because your technology is worthless if the people in the field don't know how to deploy it. And so, yeah, we got a couple extra folks here, but I mean, let's be realistic. There's, there's a number of other people who I would miss somebody if I tried to give everyone credit. It's kind of like that meme where you have the iceberg and there's a little tip. Like it's like us four, and I don't even say me, you three standing at the tip of the iceberg, but really all the 
you know, the juice and everything, the nuts and bolts. And really what made it all happen is all that lies underneath the water, which is again, you know, a team of people, R and D purchasing technical folks, field folks. So yeah, there's a mass team. Unfortunately, we can't have all of them on here, but you know, we've got certain individuals that definitely help make it a success. But anyway, go ahead, Matt. Yeah. So one of the things that we noticed in kind of our product line is we didn't have a high fluid loss squeeze, which, you know, we, we know there's products out there. And in fact, sometimes we would sort of pour boy together our own. But what we found was kind of, this is sort of human behavior. Unless you had that one bag, you know, of a proven tested material, folks, you know, were a little reluctant to try it. And then a squeeze itself is, it's basically your matter of last resort. Many times you go on total losses and what you're looking for is basically material they'll rapidly defluidize and pack off in a void zone. So, you know, these are a lot of times, they're a bunch of different particulates that sort of have to pack together to even form a seal. They don't slowly, you know, tighten up a filter cake or anything like that. And so a lot of times what you'll do, and and Jordan's going to get into the procedure, is you'll pump this in a liquid that's not very thick. You'll pump it down and then you'll apply pressure on the backside and it's going to, everything's going to go into the loss zone, but as it loses all this fluid, you're left with just a solid plug. And that's what stops our losses in a, you know, a, a large fracture. And this is kind of typically an item of last resort for a cement job. And kind of recognizing that there's you know, a lot of different products on the market. And these are ones that you know, we also do marketing. And I think some of them are a little, little boastful about what they can and can't do, might not have as much technical background. That was something that was really important to us. And so I think, you know, Ricky, I think it'd be great if you could talk about you going through everything we looked at and then the design criteria that said, okay, we have a good product if we can do this based upon what we know is realistic and practical and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So now kind of, and going back to what you were starting off there with Matt, I mean, I think what we do sometimes and what my role is, at least in part, is, is looking at the product portfolio that we have out there see what gaps are there, see what we can identify, and then look at you know what customers, what they need, maybe what some of our competitors are offering, see if there's anything we can improve upon. And that was kind of the, one of the first things when I joined AES was, well, we, you know, we've got an opportunity to develop a, a high fluid loss squeeze here. And so when we jumped into that, we take basically what's out there or what we think the design criteria might be to develop that. And of course, there's all kinds of of literature through, you know, research papers, SPEAD papers that sort of define loosely within the industry what would be considered a high fluid loss squeeze or how to test for it in the laboratory and kind of qualify it, right? So first kind of, you know, highline feature of this product is it needs to seal those big void spaces that Matt's alluding to. And so we use the 5,000 micron sort of aperture to gauge it off of. That's a lot of what this high fluid loss squeeze, a lot of the products that are out there you know, can claim to bridge off and plug up to. So we wanted it to do that. And that involves slot testing, right? So we come up with these blends of different products of different types of whether it's fibrous, granular, or, or what have you types of lost circulation products, place them in a pressurized cell. And then we pressure up to a thousand PSI and try to get it to hold across a 5,000 micron disc. And that's basically the starting point. Can we, can we reach that sort of I use the word stage gate, but the kind of hurdle to get past. And then another thing with this type of product is, you know, as he was saying, we've tried to do our own high fluid loss squeezes before, and they're kind of a amalgamash of, you know, five or six different products. We'd like to have this thing in a single sack. 
easier for hands on the rig to mix, easier to build them quicker, less chance of mistakes happening. So that was another thing. Can we get all these products into one bag? Are they all going to mix together? Are they all going to hold together in a sack environment? And then the other thing is, can we get it to perform when we go in and test it in the lab under a, a slot test? You know, some of these hot, these squeezes, when you add Bayrite to it, you know, you, you need to adjust the weight maybe because you, you know, you want to be able to pump this correctly, you know, down the drill pipe. But in a lot of cases, when you add something like Bayrite to it to weigh it up, you're adjusting that particle size distribution. And so that might actually affect its ability to, to provide that substrate, that filter cake, if you will, to fill in the void space. So can we weigh it up? Can we not? That was a big part of the design criteria. And, I'm and ultimately... Oh, sorry. That? I was say that, that was an interesting one. I think you sort of came across was we tested some things off the shelf thinking, you know, maybe we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Like maybe we can just use what's out there. And we found several of these that when you weighed up with Bayrite, the performance diminishes dramatically. You know, they weren't great without Bayrite. And, and that was sort of a, I don't know if you call it, at first we were wondering if that was true of everything out there. And what we found is, yeah, you know, to some degree it, ha- it has an effect, but some of them really don't perform but they look great if you pump them without Bayrite. So that was actually a, a bigger hurdle than I think we initially thought. That's right. And it, and it all kind of goes back to, we'll get into this with Jordan, but going from a lab to, to the field, there's all kinds of different complications and ways you need to sort of look at this testing because does this material or any other materials that people claim to be high fluid loss squeezes when you put Bayrite in them, okay, it it may not plug off at 5,000 microns, but does it at 3,000 or at 7,000? How does this stuff really work? And, and we tested a lot of those things, but I mean, ultimately we don't know exactly what's going on downhole, right? We can only make these, you know, you know, put together these tests to mimic downhole conditions and go from there. So yeah, that we found a lot out about trying to add Bayrite and see how this product performs. But I'd say, you know, in the end, this stuff has got to, you know, we've also got to use products that are ultimately cost-effective, right? We've got to make sure that you know, it's something that that's feasible given, you know, the costs and, and what we're, you know, what we're looking at in terms of the situation of going on oil-based mud losses. I mean, what is it, you know, how do we look at what these products actually cost for us and the constituents in it, but what is it also, what is the solution that it's providing for our customers and understanding how that plays into, you know, how we price the product as well, of course, right? Yeah. Well, and it's a really good point because cost of ownership can be a bigger thing too, right? Like, you know, there's a few of these products where you get, they, you know, vendor sends out their own person to pump, which procedure really matters. And we'll get into that. But if you can avoid the cost of paying for an extra person or even the safety issues, if our mud engineers, it's easy enough for them to follow that procedure with a little bit of help, you know, that's a cost factor along with the fact that some of these products that, you know, we're not going to name names, but you know, when we talked to our customers about price point and that sort of thing, we were sort of surprised at what, how much they cost, where it goes back to, wow, this better work and I better be losing it, you know, saving myself from huge mud losses. So, you know, that was pretty interesting. And I was just curious, Ricky and and Matt, so when looking at different variations of products and now that we're on the cost topic, are you guys speaking with salesmen and the account managers to say, hey, here's what we feel like a price point is, or, or do you come up with what you know works and then tailor it based off of what you know the market price could possibly be or is it kind of reverse engineering it based on that or is it kind of just you know conversations as you move along i mean i think it's kind of both you know like the the problem is it's not like you know we're running a business right and we so we have to say okay we have to get a reasonable return on this stuff 
it has to add value where the customer is comfortable paying for it. Those things sort of need to converge. You say, well, what is what does the market seem to think? And that's where a customer would say, look, I'm used to paying this much. You know, you wouldn't be out of bounds asking for that. But so there's that. But then, you know, the other part of it is we don't want to get too greedy. And if we can offer it for a reasonable value and, and generate the numbers that make a product worthwhile, you know, you don't pump like you don't pump this stuff all the time. And so strategically, you want to make sure that you're solving a problem for a customer building a relationship while running a business. So yeah. I think there is the trap of sort of getting caught speeding on this stuff. If you have something that's pretty great and sure, you know, make your money, but we're also trying to play the long game with our customers as, as we always do. So that there's not ever a straight answer for how you price these things out. It's very much, you know, yes, I should get, you know, the customer, we want them to pay what it's worth, but we also don't want to burn bridges along the way you know, we want to continue to solve problems. Right. So Ricky, I'm curious on some of the challenges that you faced when either doing the lab testing, maybe sourcing certain products. Can you describe that and and how you were able to overcome those challenges? Yeah, sure. So looking at a product like a high fluid loss squeeze, I mean, there's, and Jordan can tell you this, there's, and Justin, I know you've seen it as well. There's, there's a lot of people that provide these type of squeezes out there. There's a lot of obviously different mud companies. They're specific folks out there just peddling lost circulation material only. And they're able to, I mean, there's all kinds of claims out there on what they can do and how they perform, what tools you can pump them through, all sort of limitations or limitations that can be exceeded. And so when you kind of look out at the general, the marketing of these types of products, you see a lot out there. So that's one thing we saw is, you know, we obviously want to, you know, as a, as a squeeze product, Typically, these are pumped open-ended. So one thing we saw was that there's a lot of folks that made a lot of the same claims that we're trying to make in terms of the aperture it can seal off. And we thought, well, we find it difficult to be able to pump this stuff through anything other than being open-ended or at least something with you know a bullnose assembly or something with a relatively high orifice. So we saw claims like that, and we basically just had to, you know, we're beholden to those, right? And, and we have to make sure that we obviously don't want to get ourselves in a situation where we're plugging off tools because our product data sheet says it, they don't plug off tools or what have you. So I guess that was one of the biggest challenges. We see other other folks out there and maybe they have a different testing regimen. You know, definitely not trying to talk down on any other any other suppliers of this type of product, but it, it's kind of one of those, we want to be as specific as we can with how we, we talk about what this product can do. And so, you know, Matt was big on that too. When we were trying to roll this out is, you know, hey, these other folks are pushing this squeeze product and they say they can pump it with tools. And we're like, well, let them plug off some tools and see how, see how that affects them. Or maybe, maybe they don't. So I think that was a big challenge with it is just trying to get through all the minutia that's out there and still being able to, to provide a product that does what it says it can do. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, it's one thing to say something or put it on your product bulletin. It's a whole other thing to show the data that gives you the confidence of that. And So, you know, at AES, we're not going to make claims we can't back up. And, you know, some of the things that we found, we said, well, should this be a design requirement or should we just say, look, we're not going to play that game because we don't know how you could ever confidently make claim X, Y, or Z. And so that was, you know, but narrowing that down and saying the product has to meet these things, I think was probably one of the hardest things, Ricky. Like the testing, we sort of knew how we were going to test or had ideas of how we could even make equipment to do a test. The big challenge was how many of these are relevant and how many of these are like pass fail, nice to have, need to have, you know? 
Yeah, no doubt. Well, so once you go through all the lab testing and, you know, you go through all the design criteria and you check all the boxes, say, yep, this works, this works, this works. I mean, there's got to be a point where you get excited to start naming this thing. How did you guys come up with the name? Yeah. So I'll let Matt, if you want to, I was going to say we've, so we've got a product called micro strength, which is falls under the LCM umbrella, of course, but it, as the name would suggest, you know, it is designed for a much smaller lost circulation scenarios. I mean, it's more of a wellbore strengthening material itself that we came up with a while ago. And because this is also, you know, part of that same family, we thought macro strength was a fitting, kind of a fitting play on words as it relates to micro strength. Yeah. Cause the fractures are big. It's larger macro, larger. Ah, yeah. I, see. So, I see what you did there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, we had time to think of this because, you know, of course it's clever, but these things don't just, you know, happen overnight. You know, so one of the things we do is we assign a product an experimental number and that's, you know, you know, it's new technology. It's, it's seeking a field trial. And then once you have some successful applications and you're confident that the product gets the credit, then you got to think of a name. And I think it was one of those, we kicked around enough things that we were like, this just fits in nicely. Macro is big and micro is small. And hopefully nobody gets that mixed up. And the applications are very, very different. So yeah. And I think, you know, some of the, just even the unconfined compressive strength of the material. So it might not necessarily be doing the, you know, one more strengthening as far as like limiting fracture propagation, but it's sealing at the mouth of that fracture and providing strength for, you know, a shoe or, or, you know, wherever it needs to be applied. So one of our better names, I mean, I know people are continually disappointed, but marketing is all about finding something someone else isn't using and spelling it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's a lot of competition out there. Yeah, no, there is. And especially, you know, I know everyone was probably so sad that we didn't start the product off with E-N-E-R something. We're really spreading our wings and I like that. Yeah. (laughs) I was just going to say, piggybacking off that, but I guess the whole sort of, if you're going to break it down the process, we find a reason to have a product like this. We develop it in the lab, right? And we get it, folks in a lab, going back to that iceberg meme you were talking about, folks like Larry and Andrew, our, our product manager, they were critical in, in making sure that we get all of these components together, make sure we blend it properly and, and bag it. And then you know, we get all the technical data together. Then we start informing people like yourself and Jordan about, hey, we've got this product. Here's what it can do. We're looking for an opportunity to pump this down hole at some point, right? And by nature, this type of product is only happening when you need it at that time. And you don't know until you're on total losses. And so phone calls can happen in the middle of the night to get this product out there. It's got to be available, but it is one of those let everyone know that this now exists and we're looking for a field trial. And that's sort of how we came into where we were in terms of rolling it out into a case, eventually a case history, but at least getting a successful field trial under our belt with it. So. Right. And everyone's probably wondering why Jordan's on the phone, but, or on the, on the podcast, but it's one thing to design and create something in a controlled environment, but where the real test is, is once you get it to a rig, because we all know when you get it to a rig, whether it's rig hands or it's mud engineers, whether it's directional, there's a lot of other factors that are very hard to simulate in a lab environment. So, and I'll, you know, let Jordan or Ricky and and both of you, how do we as a company or how did we roll this out? And what did that look like? I mean, obviously speaking with the customer, Hey, we've got this product, you know, because ultimately 
you typically can't just throw a product on location and pump it without going through some conversation, communicating it to the customer. So Jordan, from your perspective, when Ricky comes to you and says, look at this awesome new product I have at that point, how do you digest it? And how do you figure out a way to, okay, this might actually be something I can use on a well. Can you kind of share those ideas? Well, on some of your new products, I haven't used every product and every product line out there, but on some of your new products at AES, I've used them before in working at prior companies or whatever. So whenever one's rolled out, it's kind of like, okay, perfect. There's another tool for the old tool belt, right? So when we were developing, you know, there's murmurs, we're developing a high fluid loss squeeze and everything. I'm like, great. I may already have an application right now. Like, when can I get it? You know? Yeah. On this particular rig, it's well after well after well where, you know, losses are always problematic in this area. So I couldn't wait for it to come out and finally get some sacks to the warehouse. And just from there, it's kind of like, okay, writing's on the wall. If we're not going to do a cement job here. We got to attack this thing with the most potent stuff we have. And from there, it, you know, in, in our situation here, how this went down, we had time, you know, I had time to give the information to the operator, let them digest it. We had a little bit more drilling to do before we could actually apply this stuff. So it was definitely not a midnight phone call, fly by the seat of your pants. Everybody was definitely able to get comfortable with this idea before we went down this path. Right. So. Gotcha. But that's it. I mean, you know, the fact that I already knew what a high fluid loss squeeze was helped, right? Like I didn't have to figure it out myself. I guess. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. So can you describe the well scenario that led us to provide this product to the customer? Yeah. So with this particular operator, we're in an area and drilling a target. We're continually not getting a formation integrity test. We're not getting what they're looking for. So we're always attacking it with, you know, a lot of times we'll go with conventional LCM and we'll squeeze that, give it a little bit more fracture gradient, go on about our day and then go with an LCM regiment beyond that, just to kind of keep that strengthened. Mm -hmm. In this scenario, we tried that 10 times and 10 times it didn't work. And each time we tried it, we had to go up on concentration and up on concentration to a point where we got to like pumping 70 pound per barrel through your conventional tools, crossing your fingers every time, hoping it would go through. Finally, they decided to go open-ended to attack it more aggressively. We went open-ended and got all the way up to 100 to 120 pound per barrel, throwing the kitchen sink at this shoe to no avail. So originally they did do a cement squeeze job on this after we noticed the, the losses were this prevalent. So squeeze job went okay. Felt like they got really good pressure. So went ahead and, and drilled the curve from there got to the base of the curve and semen had broken down again at the shoe and losses came right back. Uh, and that's where, you know, kind of circling back a little bit to the cost of these things. It's like, we know that cement works, but cement costs a lot of money and cement jobs take a lot of time. So is there something that you got that you guys at AES have, that's going to be a cost effective fix for this. And we just happen to have one. And like I said, they already had the information. I'd given it to them, you know, about two days prior. So it's already on their mind, like, hey, let's try this. So that's really it. I mean, you know, at that point, then it's all execution. Right. And what were the, do you, do you recall the, the rate of losses at that point? 
like when we were after you drilled the rest of the curve and then it broke down again, I, I want to say it was close to a hundred barrels an hour, wasn't it? It was, it was a hundred to 150 barrels an hour. Yeah. Okay. So you, you found the opportunity you mentioned, Hey, you know, operator, here's a solution that we have. Here's the data to support what, our claim. And then at that point they say, Hey, let's give it a shot. You get the product to the rig. Can you describe the application, perhaps in the concentration and, and how you actually sent it downhole? Yeah, for sure. So we wanted to start out with what worked in the lab. So we started this thing at 75 pounds per barrel. We mixed it up in the base fluid. A lot of times, most you know experts within our industry would say that these things always work better if you mix them with water. We didn't really have that option. We, we were pit locked, had no, no room for spacers or anything like that. So we we went with diesel, which was the base fluid, felt comfortable with it. We, you know, fortunately it wasn't like, oh, let's just try this. It, it had already been tested thoroughly in our lab. So I was able to fall back on that and, and feel good about it. So we mixed up 75 pound per barrel of and pumped that and got really good results from it. Put that uh, put that in place, squeeze it away, let it defluidize, defluidize and got some really good pressure out of it. And... Uh, Drilled along and losses came back a little bit. We were drilling on NPD at the time, so may have gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves with with how good the first one worked. They pressured up and pressured up, and eventually it broke down again. So it's like, okay, well, let's do it again, right? So we did it again, did it a third time. It seemed like the more we threw at it, the better it got every time. And so eventually we were able to get back down on bottom and drill this well with minimal to seepage losses for the remainder of the well. Like it was, it was great. By the time everything was said and done, I mean, you'd think that you ran a liner, you know, we're able to get, you know, a full extra pound of ECD than than we were able to get prior. It worked out very well. And you'd said too, with regards to the cement job, everything went well. Yeah. Everything seemed to go well on the cement job. We just, by the time we got down to the base of the curve, we could tell that something wasn't right. Like, you know, obviously it looked good on its face. And then by the time we got down to the lateral, we're losing again at the same rate or worse than we were losing originally. So it's like, okay, well, something definitely didn't hold up there. Yeah. But once you got casing on bottom, I mean, you know, you, you, you make it to TD or whatever and you get casing on bottom. You said that went really well. You go to do the cement job because that, that's the area that always concerns me is okay, we got this thing in, but now am I going to have catastrophic losses and not be able to get zonal isolation on the cement job? Was cementing casing, were you able to keep your shoe at that point in time? Or Yeah, so I think it did seep a little bit during that cement job, but large in part, they got cement back to the zone that they wanted it back to, so it wasn't too bad. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, from the time we got the final stage of macro strength in the hole and got that pumped away from that time on losses were very minimal we did surge a little bit running casing but for the most part it was what we would have seen in a normal well you know out in this area back to normal that's always good yeah yeah absolutely just some like key notes here that were to me a big part of its success was one, a cost-effective solution, right? Two, the particular mud engineer 
out on location, didn't need anybody's help. Very experienced guy. I was able to meet him and I were able to communicate all the way through this. I mean, you had so many new people on this. There wasn't a company man. There wasn't an engineer. There wasn't anyone out there that had ever done this before. So this was, this was brand new for a lot of people, you know? Yeah. I was going to just expand on that point, Jordan. You like, I hate to be cliche, but I think communication on this one was huge because Jordan is calling me trying to figure out, okay, what is this product and how do we pump it, you know, beyond what his knowledge of squeezes already. But then he's having to get with the drilling engineer to explain how it works. And then his mud engineer on location. And even when these things go right, they can still not work, right? Even when you do everything right and you pump them like you think you should, which is 90% of the work is just trying to get it pumped correctly they can still not work. So when it ends up being successful like this one, it was something we were all proud of, but I think a lot of it comes back to multiple phone calls over and over to make sure how we're doing this. Jordan being kind of the point guy on all that was critical for it. So I'd say, yeah, your guys in the field and then, and then being able to get the operator on board with how we're going to do it was critical, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the operator is not, they're not a novice whenever it comes to pumping squeezes or squeezing cement or anything like that. It's just this particular application was a little bit different. So everybody handled it well, no major hiccups or anything like that. And like I said, Timmy out there on location handled it like a champ. He handled it as if he was a subject matter expert working for one of these specialty companies that would go out there and do it. You know, I mean, he really, he's got a good background from working deep water offshore and has been down this road before. So. And I think it's important to emphasize too, though, although Timmy, you know, arguably is one of the, probably in the pool of strongest hands we have, I would say an intermediate or, or someone with not his level of experience could still apply this. And like knowing what I know about the product and how you get the mix and, and the application of it, like you said, I think honestly, most mud engineers who've got a decent amount of experience could pump this, which again, alludes to, you don't need, you know, two field supervisors to come out and watch every, you know, sack that's mixed. And it, that's a testament to product design is it's like, you know, simple is better, <laughs> you know, and sometimes you can't get too simple just because of the nature of the application or the circumstance that you've got on the rig. But the fact that you only needed one, one engineer and you didn't need, you know, a hand of guys out there, ladies helping, that's important because again, you know, we're tight on resources all the time. And so if you always need people to go out and pump specialty products, well, then it just kind of gives you. It can just be challenging. So again, I think that's really important to note. And yeah, Timmy is a champ. He did it. But I think honestly, most folks could, which again, is always important. So yeah, absolutely. I think having a a pretty clear and concise procedure definitely helps. And just back to the operator having pump squeezes before, you hand them a procedure and they say, well, can I tweak this a little bit and do it this way? Sure. Yeah. Like if it, if it makes sense, if it's still going to, you're still going to put your product across the loss zone and defluidize it. I mean, think about the big picture here. Operationally, it can be done probably numerous ways, but getting a product to apply where it's supposed to be applied and getting it to act the way it's supposed to act. That's, that's the main goal. Right. So that was what a lot of our phone calls were around yeah. that. And keep in mind, most of the phone calls Jordan and I have are about overpriced golf clubs and not ever about <laughs> squeezes. So <laughs> finally got to talk about work. Yeah. So we were happy to finally mix it up and talk about work for once. 
That's great. Which was cool. I was beginning <laughs> to wonder why Matt was paying you there for a while. But you, you showed him. <laughs> yeah. I wonder that every day, but you know, every, every once in a while the guy comes. Right. Let's keep on topic, guys. Let's keep right. <laughs> Ricky comes in clutch. Every time Matt has his papers walking into Ricky's office, he somehow designs a new product. <laughs> hey, just keep a calculator around you. Always have something around. Yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, no, it's hats off to you guys. You just continuously, I mean, creating products, deploying them. Yeah. And just doing some fascinating stuff. Just when you think mud can't get any fancier, we keep coming out with new and exciting toys and tools in the toolbox. So, and at the end of the day, like you said, Matt, it's about providing solutions. So again, huge shout out to you guys for deploying it and applying it and making it a success. We've pumped it now several times. So yeah, it's super cool. I mean, that's what we're here for. Any final thoughts from, from either of you gentlemen? I was going to just add before, before those guys speak, just another reminder. I mean, there's so many people involved with all this stuff from Timmy down at the field to like, you have this idea and it's not just you like back up a truck tomorrow and, and this stuff arrives. If you want to do it right, it requires guys like this from both the, you know, sitting in an office in Houston all the way out to, you know, to the rig. And I mean, it's really, really fun when these things all come together just because you have an idea and then you see it work and you're like, wow, we did that. You know, we should be more confident in ourselves sometimes. But all being said, I mean, great job, guys. Do you you have anything else or any any closing thoughts? I'd really just echo that. I mean, I think it's a lot of reasons why it was was successful, but with this type of product, the execution phase is just what it relies on the most in order for it to work. So a lot of that goes towards what Jordan and his folks out in the field were doing and then just makes us proud of something working out and us being able to fully commercialize something and have a case history like this for it to stand on. I'll add one thing to it. I guess not trying to open the door back up to tons more conversation here, but capturing data during one of these is extremely important. The more data you get, the more you're learning. The more you learn, the better you can do the next time you get into this situation. So, I mean, guy on the rig floor thinking, why am I writing all these numbers down? It means something. There's going to be progress made from it and we're going to get better. You know, every time we pump one of these or every time we roll out a new product, it's first time on the rig, isn't it? We don't want it to be its last time. We want to learn from it and make the whole process better. You know, even if the product's great, the process can always get better. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Jordan. Thanks for adding that. Yeah, again, it's been a pleasure and, you know, congratulations to the team. And with that said, anyone else before we let everyone get back to work or driving or whatever they're doing? Yeah, I'll get back to work. Ricky can get back to golfing and we're going mm-hmm. about our day. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, with that said, everyone, if you have any questions, you can reach out to either of us on LinkedIn, or you can hit us up at the Flowline Podcast, AESFluids.com. If you have any ideas for a show, please reach out to us and let us know. Some of the best episodes come from folks asking questions. So please don't hesitate to reach out, ask questions. And with that said, everyone, thanks again for listening. Be safe until next time. Take care. Take care. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.